Get ready for what's coming. More speed, more of everything. This is my last chance. If I lose, I never get to do this again. Fear of failure. Be afraid of not having the chance. You have the chance. So in the few moments that the youth was singing, I was reflecting upon telling you, see, there went the air. So see, I'm not crazy. Um, I do want to let you know that I am a reasonably intelligent person. And if the fire alarm were to go off, I do not want you to just sit here and let's all ponder what we should do. I mean, you could potentially go home this afternoon and say, hey, I went to this church today and let me tell you what the preacher said. She said if the fire alarm goes off, let's all just sit there and let's just wait and see what happens. Um, I feel like the biggest idiot ever, so uh, I do have some logic. I may not have the best common sense, but I am somewhat intelligent. Hopefully, you'll see that after the message. I have to confess to you that today is the white flag, and this is the one that... uh, They're not going to come out, but oh, yes. This is the one that I've been looking forward to the most. Do you know what this means? Final lap. If you were here last Sunday, will you clap? Well, a good many of you got to see that I had no idea whatsoever that the, what the white flag meant. I, meant. I thought it meant the end of the race or the beginning. I can't even remember. So I wanted to give you a little quiz about the, the flags. What does green mean? Very good. Then what is this one? Now listen, y'all were just told me you were here last week. I preached on this for a long time. A bl- to what move over the youth remembered or Adam or somebody over here remembered. Thank you. What does this mean? Caution. I'm not asking you about these two because I personally don't know and uh, you could just say anything. And this one is next week. What is that one? The end, yes, yes. But um, this is the next to the last flag. And I will confess, I don't know why I did a NASCAR series. We were trying to tie it in with the movie Cars because we went to the movies. And I will confess to you, I will never again preach a message series that I know absolutely nothing about the sport. Um, I at least know a little about football and basketball and baseball, but NASCAR, I knew nothing. And so the whole, you know, perpetual Andrea is an idiot theme has been going going throughout the whole series. So uh, welcome to West. I promise after this series is over, I will look and sound a lot more intelligent. But the bottom line is today is the white flag. It means that there is one lap left to go. Now there was an Indy car driver winner named Ed Carpenter, and he commented about the white flag. And he said, you know, when I think about a race, I don't think about the checkered flag and what I'm going to 
to feel and think and do when I experience the checkered flag. He said, the flag that I think the most about ahead of a race is the white flag. And the interview person asked him, you know, why? Why do you think about the white flag more than the others? And he said, well, because I need to think about what I want my position to be when I go in the last lap of the race. He said, you know, I don't always want to be in the lead. He said, sometimes I like to be on back in the pack a little because then I can determine how best I win. I don't always have to be first to win. And if you know anything about NASCAR, you know that you don't have to win every race to win the points championship. I tried to find out if a, a, a points championship winner had ever won the points without winning any races. My research was inconclusive. If you know the answer to that, you can share it with me after worship. But the bottom line is, and how this transfers over to our spiritual life, is that we don't always have to win to really win in the end. And I think if there's a message for us from these flags, it's our asking ourselves, how do we want to position ourselves in this race of life so that we best prepare ourselves to win? And we define winning as being at one with God. And we say and believe that God is love. So winning for us is being at one with God or at one with love. That's what the word atonement means. The word salvation means transformation. So it is our hope and our desire that we experience salvation and transformation as we go through this race so that we are finally at one with God in the way that we act, the way that we feel, uh, the way that we experience life and that that's how we ultimately win. So this morning, we're going to look a little at how Jesus positioned himself in the last lap of his life. And actually, it it transfers all throughout his life. It wasn't something he just waited to do that last week of his life. Literally, he did it all throughout his life. And the word is surrender. That also brings up another white flag. If you see in old Western movies or any, any movies around war and they wave the white flag, the white flag means surrender. And that's what it means for our spiritual lives. So this morning, I want us to think about winning, but I want us to think about winning in the sense of losing and giving some things up because that is ultimately how we win. If we are not willing to lose some things, there are chances that we may lose everything. And I want to say that one more time because you've been inundated with Andrea-isms today that made no sense, but that one actually did. If we are not willing to lose some things, if we're not careful, we might end up losing everything. Now, what does that mean? Think about the last time you had an argument with somebody. How did it end? I mean, the argument ultimately, I hope, came to an end. How did, it, how did it end? Well, it meant that somebody conceded. Somebody waved the white flag. Somebody surrendered. Think about healthy relationships. Healthy relationships come into our lives when we aren't always putting our needs first. 
And if you're sitting here right now and thinking, yeah, that's what I'm gonna tell them when I go home. How dare you? You should think of me first. Then we're, we're not waving the white flag. We're not surrendering because we're still thinking about what they should be doing differently when ultimately surrender in the Christian way, surrender in the way of Jesus means that we think about ourselves first and how can we change? How can we be different so that the situation may resolve? It means we don't always have to be right. It means that we turn the other cheek. And that's the scripture that I wanted to share with you this morning. It's from Matthew. It's one of the lessons that Jesus taught over and over again. This one is about retaliation. Jesus said, you've heard that it said an eye for an eye and a a tooth for a tooth. But I'm going to tell you, don't resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to the left. He also went on to say, love your enemies, love those who persecute you. And that's what he showed us in his last lap, especially the last week of his life. Let's look at just a few things that happened then. So one of his best friends, this guy named Judas, they were having this festival of the Passover. So they were all gathered together in this upper room and all the people that had been following Jesus, the people that he was closest to, they were gathered there together. And in this time, Jesus said, hey, one of you, you're gonna, you're gonna betray me. And Judas gives him a kiss. Now, Jesus could have, you know, defiled that friendship right then and denied it. He could have said, you know, look, you're the one, but he didn't. He just sat there and he let it happen. He turned the other cheek. And then later on in the garden, when he was praying, the disciples, you know, they fell asleep. They were tired. And instead of getting angry, he just let it go after he rebuked them and said, really, could you not stay awake for just a little while? But, but then he let it go. When they came to arrest him, he didn't fight back. When he stood trial, he didn't argue. He could have spoken up. And if we believe what we read and what we see in the life of Jesus, we also believe that he could have called all the powers of heaven to come and be with him as he, as he hung there on the cross dying. But what did he do? He surrendered and he hung there with grace. So that's what surrender means for us. That we turn the other cheek and that we live a life of grace and love. I've shared this story many, many years ago with you and it is why we are who we are as a church. And you know, they say that vision leaks. So periodically I reshare this particular story because it defines why we are who we are with our core values. Years ago, I was the membership pastor at at Williamson's Chapel, and there was a young man that wanted to get, uh, he wanted to become a member there, and he wanted us to baptize his children. And, you know, uh, I sort of had to run all those things through the proper channels, and so when I began to ask, and actually I had wrongly assumed that it would be fine, so when we went to fill out the membership application, uh, he listed the address of his girlfriend, and then I had to answer questions about that. Well, why is there, you know, the same address for him and, and his girlfriend? Are they living together? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I did not poll them uh, those things before I filled out the membership form. 
And they said, well, you have to. You have to do that because we can't baptize their children or her children if they're living in sin. And, you know, that made me cringe just a little because in Methodism, we typically err on grace. So I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. So I called the guy, I sat down with him. I said, all right, you know, I need to ask you just a few questions. Are, are you living together? And I mean, I just don't enjoy those conversations. So it was embarrassing. And he said, well, yeah, we are. And I was not asking the next question that comes in with that conversation if two people are living together. And I just assumed that the answer was yes. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your parents after worship is over. And I said, well, I have to tell you, um, well, I have to ask you, are you planning on getting married? And he said, no. And he said, you need to understand, her husband is in prison. And there was something with the, the children's health insurance. And one of the children had a pretty severe uh, pre, uh, pre-existing condition. And he explained to me that if they got married while her husband was still in prison, then she was going to lose her insurance. Now, I don't know about insurance and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it sounded like a legitimate story to me. So I went back and and I said, you know, yeah, they're living together and no, they're not gonna get married anytime soon, but they have covenanted together in their hearts and blah, blah, blah. And they said, no, we're not gonna let them join, nor will we baptize their kids. So I got to be the one to go back and say, uh, we're going we're gonna to withhold the sacrament of God's grace. And I'm really sorry. I called one of my preacher mentors uh, crying. I don't understand how you look at somebody else and tell them they're not worthy of God's love, anybody. And I said, how? How do we do this? And he said, you know, I don't know all the rights and all the wrongs. He said, but I can tell you this. He said, I have learned over the last several years that we can't see this world in black and white. There's a lot of gray. And his dad had been a United Methodist minister for his whole career, a very well-known and well-respected pastor in our annual conference. And my friend and mentor said to me, look, When I moved up here, you know, there were lots of different scenarios and situations that I had never anticipated while I would be a pastor, he said. And and so there were lots of things that I had to rethink, like church membership and those membership vows. He said, and I called my dad because, you know, there were some church people that were angry with me because I was letting certain people join the church and they were threatening to leave. And of course, when they threatened to leave, they take their money and all this kind of stuff. And he said, it was honestly in my first six months of my appointment here and I found it to be devastating. He said, so I called my dad and I said, daddy, I I just don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to act in this situation. And his dad said, you know what? I do believe that at some point when we leave this life, this life here on earth, and we enter into the next dimension where we are at one with God, at one with the divine, we have to give an account for all the things that we've done. He said, I do believe that, that element of judgment. I don't know how it works, but I do believe that we have to, you know, stand up for what we've done or what we've not done. 
He said, and when I finally get to see in the eyes of Jesus Christ, when I finally get to look at him in the the fullness of his face, and if I messed up, I want to be able to say that I erred on grace and not on judgment. And that's what surrender means. That's what Jesus taught us. That it it means that we turn the other cheek and it means that we don't always have to be right. It means we forfeit winning. It means that in losing, just like Jesus said, if those of you who find your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, guess what? You really do. You really do find it. And he showed us that, not just in the last week of his life, but all his life. He was hanging out with the disciples and he would travel from town to town and he was preaching and teaching and and one night he went to this family's home and there was a lady there and she had this really expensive bottle of perfume. Now, different gospel writers put this at different times in the life of Jesus, but one puts it during this final week and, and she brings this expensive bottle of perfume and she pours it out all over his feet. And then she takes her hair and she washes his feet with her hair and this expensive perfume and the disciples were furious. They're like, you're wasting it. What are you doing? You're wasting all this good perfume and, and washing his feet. But what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't fuss. In fact, he fussed at the disciples for getting so bent out of shape about something so insignificant. He didn't focus on that. He focused on the person and he offered her grace and he touched her life. He could have focused on the rules and the regulations and and wastefulness and all that kind of stuff, but he he looked in her eyes and he looked at her soul because her eyes are windows to our souls, right? And he gave her grace. And then when he was hanging on the cross and there were a couple of other uh, thieves and robbers beside of him that were being crucified that very day, he looked at one of the gentlemen and, and please note, he did not say to the man, uh, will you please pray the sinner's prayer or are you going to accept me as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He did not do that. He offered him love and he looked at him and he said, hey, today, today. You will be with me in paradise. And I want us to think about the word paradise for just a minute. Uh, It meant, it was an ancient Persian term for walled garden. And Persian kings would invite their closest friends to come walk with them. And it was one of the positions of highest honor to walk with a king through the garden. And we believe, we read that Jesus was the king. And so when he says to this man, today you're gonna be with me in paradise, he was extending this beautiful invitation to him saying, will you come walk with me in the garden, in this walled garden? I am offering you this beautiful gift of friendship and love today, right now. It doesn't matter all the stuff back there. What matters is right here and right now. He gave grace over and over and over again. If we want to win, if we want to finish our race well, we have to look deep within ourselves and we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to lose so that we can win? Because if we do, if we are willing to let some things go and turn our cheek and offer forgiveness and offer grace, 
we ultimately win. I think I've only told you that story about the, the baptism of the children one other time. And, and ironically, it was, you know, like six years ago in our first full year of being a church. And it was on July the 4th Sunday. So I am intentional when I retell you stories. And it was the very same day the air conditioner had gone out in this room. And, you know, it was, it was pretty crowded for a July 4th weekend, and it was, we were all pouring sweat, and, you know, I, I felt like it had been the worst day ever. I was batting flies and bees, and, and I finally just stopped in the middle of the message and surrendered because I couldn't figure out how to keep preaching amidst all the chaos. At the end of the service, this gentleman came up to me, and I thought he looked familiar, but I couldn't really tell And he said, you don't remember me, do you? I said, no. I said, you look familiar, but I really don't. And he told me his name. Guess who he was? He was the guy that I had denied church membership to. And the time that I told that story years ago, I mean, it was the first time I'd ever told the story out loud to a group of people. And so I admitted that I had been wrong. And that I had withheld a sacrament of grace. And that I was sorry. And that I wished I could apologize. And lo and behold, he was here that day. Who knew? When we're willing to make ourselves vulnerable. When we're willing to not win. When we're willing to not always have to look like we have it together. And we have to be all right. God's at work in all of that. We see it in scripture. We see it in the life of Christ. Surrender also means that we don't give up. You know, when we are running our race of life and we get to that, that last leg, it's hard sometimes. I also think that sometimes in the middle of the race, it's very hard. We are going to face hurdles and, and difficulties and we are going to want to give up. When we lose loved ones tragically and our gut is wrenching, we are going to want to give up. When we find ourselves in circumstances we did not plan for, we did not necessarily want, but here they are, we don't give up. Mary didn't. This 15-year-old unwed mother that ultimately was going to give birth, you know, to the Messiah, the Emmanuel, God with us. When the angel came to her and told her this news, she wasn't exactly elated the first few minutes of that interaction. But the angel said to her, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. It's in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Nothing, nothing's impossible with God. You can withstand anything, no matter how hard, no matter how tragic, because God is God and God is big. God is bigger and and better and more love and more peace than we can possibly imagine. So when we're in those darkest of moments, just like the disciples were, after they watched their, their savior, their best friend be brutally murdered, they had to pull down deep in the recesses of their soul and they had to hold on to those promises that Jesus gave. Don't give up the worst things aren't the last things. And lo and behold... They weren't. They did experience the the power of the resurrection. In some mystical way, they encountered their risen Lord. And we do too. It may not be in the time frame that we want. 
It may not be in the way that we can see initially, but God always, always shows up. And God always holds it all together. So surrender also means we don't give up. And the final thing that it means is that we have to put ourselves in the uh, figurative arms of God. We know that God is not, you know, this big human being sitting on a throne far, far away. We know that God is, is a presence, a divine presence, an energy, a peace, a love that is far greater than anything that we can understand. And that God is still at work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus revealed to us God's self. So when we face those obstacles, and when those hurdles are just bigger than it feels like we can cross, and the burdens are bigger than what we can bear, we have to just put ourselves in God. And somehow, God works through those things to hold us all together. A preacher, a friend of mine, tells a story about his daughter's high school years. He said that they were rough and uh, she had uh, an addiction to drugs. And one night about uh, in the early hours of the morning, it was a Saturday night, she came home. She was clearly under the influence of drugs and, and they got in this huge fight. And... Then the next week, they went to their family counselor, and the counselor looked at him and said, you have to let go of your daughter. My friend said he became furious with the counselor. He's like, what? You know, I thought we were paying you to help us. Uh, I thought you would give us some, some guidelines, and we would write a new covenant, and we would come up with some rules and ways that she would act so that we, we wouldn't keep going down this path. And the counselor said, I think you mean to, uh, I think you're misunderstanding me. I'm not saying give her up, let her go. I'm saying that you need to let go of some control because a new covenant's not going to change things. Letting go of control means surrender. My friend said that uh, another Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday morning, when she came home under the influence, he couldn't sleep. And Sunday's coming. So he got up at like 3 a.m. And he said he went and took a shower. That's what he did every Sunday morning. And he stood in the shower and he, he cried. And he said, God, I have nothing to give your people anymore. I'm not even sure I want to keep uh, this career in ministry. I've, I've got nothing left. And he said he just felt this peace come over him and so we went about his day. They stayed in counseling and ultimately, several years later, the daughter was able to get her addiction, which is a disease, under control. One day after a funeral, he had preached for a child. He went back into his office and he saw his daughter sitting there. And clearly she was dressed for a celebration of life service. And so he was surprised to find her in his office. And he inquired as to why she was there. He said, I didn't know you knew the family. She said, I didn't. She said, I wasn't here for the family. I was here for you. 
Sometimes when we give up control, God is at work in that and we will see beautiful things come to fruition. And sometimes it doesn't end the way that we want it to end. But God is always at work and God holds all things together in the end. Because we do worship a God where death doesn't win. So wherever you are and you're facing your, your race of life, whether you're in the middle or whether you feel like you're getting ready for the, the last several laps, it matters where we position ourselves. And if we really want to win, we have to surrender. And the, I want you to take a look at this clip from Bruce Almighty. It shows us one of the best ways we can do that. Take a look. You know what I do every night before I go to bed? I tuck my kids in, maybe have a scoop of ice cream and watch Conan. You know what Grace does? She prays. Most of the time for you. Please help Bruce find himself, find contentment, find you. Dear God, please help Bruce. He seems to be struggling. Dear God, give Bruce strength. Dear God, bless Bruce. Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. It's her. Sandy, it's her. She's logging on. She's praying right now. that means when people are dogging you and they're talking bad about you and it's not fair and you don't really deserve the stuff that they're saying it means like Jesus said just turn the other cheek you don't have to win you don't have to prove anything your life your integrity will prove itself it means that 
when we're faced with some decisions that we make about how we win, whether it's an argument or whatever with trying to have a healthy relationship, that we look at where the other person is and we err on grace and we err on love. The lesson went viral with two seventh grade boys. They, uh, they were wrestling. Their names were Justin and Jacob. And Jacob had cerebral palsy and he was in school, and as he went into middle school, now keep in mind he's confined to a wheelchair, but as he went into middle school, he wanted to wrestle. So the wrestling coach let him join the team. And, you know, once you join the team and you go to practice and that kind of stuff, if you're on the wrestling team, it means that eventually you go to the mat. And so it was their first wrestling match, and and Justin wanted to wrestle, And the coach said in the interview that he was a little anxious about how that would happen because they hadn't made concessions for what this would look like. So the coach pulled the other coach over to the side and he said, do you have anybody on your team that would be willing, you know, to to wrestle Jacob, somebody with a big heart? I just need somebody that will wrestle him that has a big heart. And the coach said, yeah, I know just the person. So he went and chose Justin. First meet, heat, whatever of the season, and Justin and Jacob get out there to wrestle. And Jacob was already lying on the mat because, remember, he couldn't move. And so here's this boy, this seventh grade boy that doesn't know him at all. And he goes and he gets underneath him on the mat and he takes his arm. He pulls it over him and he lets him or forces him to hold him down so he can pin him so that Justin can lose the wrestling match. Now, the most powerful part of that is the smile that Jacob has when he sees that he has won. But in the interview afterwards, Justin said, you know what? Winning isn't everything. And sometimes it isn't even the right thing. Jesus taught us the same thing. That to win, sometimes we need to lose. Where are you going to position yourself in the last lap of life? Let us pray. Gracious God, you do show us that sacrifice and turning the cheek and surrender is ultimately how we win. It is not easy at all. We are driven. We want to be right. We want to prove ourselves. We want to protect ourselves. But God, sometimes surrender just means turning the other cheek and letting somebody else win. Thank you for showing us that way to love because it's how you love us. And we are so blessed and so grateful to be recipients of that love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When Gracie thanked you, that was such a beautiful thank you. And thank you for doing that. I don't know if y'all always realize where your offering dollars go. Uh, Leanne Rose is like, Andrea, we have so many going. We're going to have to rent three vans and blah, blah, blah. She said, I'm worried about the budget. What, what's it going to do? Da, 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 da. I said, you know what? We're not going to worry about it because they are important and they matter and it'll all work out in the end. Now that might make the finance team cringe just a little. That's how I budget. But you know what? From the very beginning of West till now, 
We've tried really hard not to worry about those semantics and worry about how we can introduce people to the unending love of God. Good does always win. It may not feel like it in the race, but I promise good wins in the end. And the worst things are never, ever the last things. So may we be a people of surrender in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.